Welcome back, everyone. We're live for another episode of Growing with My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined as always by an amazing panel. I'm going to pass it over first, as usual, to Spartan Grown. Welcome back. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. Lots of pretenders out there now, even on Facebook. I'm not even on Facebook. Um, also, you can find me, just shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com if you don't have an Instagram. And I'm an organic farmer at home and a synthetic farmer at work commercially here in Michigan. So I can help you with uh, either side of it. Always happy to have you back. And next up, we got Matthew Gates. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Gates. I'm an IPM specialist and you can find content about plant health and uh, IPM integrated pest management on my YouTube channel, Xenthanol. Also, you can find my content on Skunk Magazine where I'm a staff writer and also on my Instagram at SyncAngel. Happy to have you back. Next up, we've got Noah the Groa. How's it going, everybody? Uh, yeah, I'm Noah the Groa with two E's on Instagram. You can find me there. I've been growing medically for about 12 years up here in Washington State. and Happy to be here with everybody. We're happy to have you back. You're sounding a lot better health-wise. I know the last uh, couple times you were on, you were just kind of recovering, and I could just tell in your voice you're uh, feeling a lot better over there. Absolutely. Happy to hear that. And uh, last and certainly not least, we may have a few panelists jump in a little bit later. Um, they messaged me already, but I wanted to pass it last and certainly not least to the American one, Tao. Welcome back. Hello, Jack Spartan, Matthew Gates, and Noah Lee Grow. It's good to be here. And everyone in chat, um, yeah, I'm the American one on the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IG if you want to check out me and my plants. And yeah, I'm glad to be here. And uh, yeah, it's always good to uh, see everybody. Happy to have you back. And um, Spartan was talking about uh, Big Aussie Bud. Shout out to you. You. Um, messaged us and asked uh, some good questions and we encouraged you to make a public post and we went on i answered it and a few other people did as well but then you followed up with a new post so i figured it might be a good place to start off and it's asking for advice on tighter node spacing strains i understand the need to move from traditional sativa slash indica like paradigm but i was wondering if there are sativas with tighter node spacing or training methods to promote denser nodes please appreciate any advice and thoughts so like i said Pass it first to Spartan, and then I could share some of my own thoughts, or uh, maybe Tao and Noah could jump in as well. First, first I want to, well, sorry for that. My phone's going off. But um, I want to say, I, we don't say this enough, I don't think, but make sure if you're in the YouTube chat to switch to live chat instead of top chat. I don't know why that's even an option. But anyhow, this should be the default live chat, but it's not. So you got to switch to it. But as far as this question goes, um, I mean, the... The end all beat all answer to this is, is genetics. You're just going to have to find the genetic that's going to be the node spacing that you want. There are some tricks you can do um, to affect node spacing. Um, you can give it intense lighting because less intense lighting usually makes it strength or stretch the space between nodes. But obviously, if you go too intense, you're going to hurt, harm your plant. So you can only go too, you know, so much. Make sure it has the adequate lighting, I guess, is the best I can say there. And um, blue light, the blue side of the spectrum, if you have added blues, those tend to, I've, I've read a Michigan State lighting study where they, Michigan State University, where they show that blue light tend to stack tighter node spacings. Um, the danger of that in flower, obviously, is, is um, 
you know, usually we tend to use blue in, in vegetative growth, but once you go into flower, blue is not going to, um, <laughs> this is kind of controversial. I guess it's helpful at different times in flower to some people. Most people tend to just go red spectrum in flower and it gives you more uh, weight and uh, better quality at the end. Some will argue using blue at the end of your harvest will help increase quality, but uh, I'll let that debate be on another <laughs> another show. But yeah, so, I mean, I'm going to say the end all be all is you're going to have to find the, the genetics, but if you're stuck on a genetic that you want to keep, you want to have, I would keep those genetics. I would try to give it intense lighting and a little bit more shade blue. And then uh, once you get into the flowering stage, make your night cycle temperatures the same as your daytime temperatures or one degree warmer. That'll help almost stop stretch, but it won't. I don't know that it's going to add more nodes. I don't know where it's going to add you know, what you're looking for. So really genetics, as I said it three times already, is, the, <laughs> is really what you're going to do. So take your favorite strain that you want this, that, that has this issue and you want it and find another strain that's got tight node spacing, spacing and start breeding them together and see if you can uh, find something in the middle that you can be happy with. Uh, the American one or Noah the Groa, do you have any thoughts on that before I jump in? Yeah, I uh, I did answer the uh, I was tagged in the question or whatever, and I did put my thing up. And uh, yeah, Spartan is right. Um, it is genetics. I mean, you're you're gonna have a hard time taking a plant that likes to stretch quite a bit and getting those nodes to be tighter. Um, a trick that I have recently tried experiment with and and has helped me a little bit is a product called Facilitator. Um, it's from Aptis. Uh, I was actually sent a sample from it, and, I, and I've been trying it. You know, and I'm not too sure. I mean, I can notice a little bit, I guess, but the answer is genetics. I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is. But I'm sure there's other growers that have tricks out there. This uh, the node stacking thing is kind of one of the holier grails of getting your grams per watt up there, and uh, some of those secrets are are tightly guarded. But yeah, I mean, that's one of the ones that I've heard of from other growers, and I've been experimenting with a little bit recently. It's good feedback. I haven't tried that product myself. Uh, the American one, any thoughts? I was just going to uh, agree with Spartan over there. I, I immediately went to uh, find yourself a mate for it, that short and, and, and stout and squat and try, uh, you know, you, that's other than that, there's only so much you could do with making, uh, well, in my opinion, you know, what do I know? But there's only so much I think you could do with like even making the light as you know tight as possible and anything else. Genetics is going to end up being like uh, your main battle. So, yeah, you're not going to take that like Kyle's uh, land race Kerala from India that right. grows like 16 feet tall and turn it into like a squatty little Afghan type of plant. A three foot harvestable. No, yeah, that's not happening probably. <laughs> yeah, I don't care what kind of light you put under. And um, just to kind of reiterate, I made a comment on their page, but so I don't forget what I said. I said uh, higher F. PPFD at least 500, which I would say is like the minimum. As far as genetics, I recommended Brothers Grim Seeds, uh, Cinderella 99. That's like one that has kind of like a sativa effect or high, but it tends to have like a squattier uh, structure. So I think that would be an easy choice that I've seen a lot of people have success with. I've even grown F3 and F4s of it myself and had very tight node spacing. Like Spartan said earlier, the bluer spectrum, um, 4K, 5K, and even 6,500K are all like the bluer ones versus 3,500K or 3,000K are more uh, red. So, and then also keeping light on for 24 hours. Somebody suggested that 
um, which I also agree with. If they don't have time at night to kind of like rest and stretch a little bit more, I think that's going to keep their node spacing as long as you're able to manage the environment. And uh, I have to agree with what Spartan said about the daytime, nighttime temperature. If you can keep it warmer at night, even if it's just one degree warmer, that'll uh, limit or reduce the stretch. So it is, uh, those are all the kind of tips and thoughts I have on it. And I guess maybe I could pass it over last to Matthew Gates and see if you have any thoughts. Uh, what was the specific question? So I uh, will read it right now. It says, asking for advice on tighter node spacing strains um, they kind of discuss moving away from traditional indica sativa uh, thinking, but they're looking for something that is kind of traditionally considered a sativa with tighter node spacing or training methods to promote denser nodes. Appreciate any thoughts or advice. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, uh, now I understand. Um, I missed part of that statement. So, I, but I definitely agree because I was agree I was nodding my head. Yes, when people were saying, "Oh, it's mostly genetics," because it's true, most of it is genetics. And even on an individual level, I guess I'll say this much: that um, as much as I can say about it, uh, sort of with any level of authority or understanding, um, you might even get, you know, individuals in a group that will be, of course may you will get differences slight differences sometimes major differences even um and you don't really you just don't know until you pop those seeds or you put that clone in the ground to really see and even we um uh i spoke with a panel of people um on the future canvas project i thought we had a really great conversation actually uh when we we had a, an individual who did some research with that soma clonal variation paper we talked about a few uh sundays ago and uh, how where they took the cuttings even influenced the mutation rate in certain gene expressions. So like, there you have it. Um, things are complex and always changing. And I was just watching a video about uh, how gene regulation works, just trying to, you know, keep myself sort of sharp, uh, understanding how those things work. And uh, you know, I don't expect people to be genomicists when they're cultivators, but um, I guess that's all just to say that I don't have any specific advice except to definitely look for that phenotype in uh, breeding and things like that. Uh, I definitely think that paying attention to physiology and also to the phenotype, but also if you can, and as this becomes easier, genotype, um, I hope and I do feel that that is going to be actually much more possible for people to do an individual level um, kind of like how people used to say personal computers would become, well, personal computers. Um, I think that we're going to run into that pretty soon. We kind of are already there. And so maybe at that, you'll be able to make some inferences, maybe not everything, but um, yeah, that's my input. <laughs> Great input. And I just wanted to add one thing. Uh, Kyle Breeder of Pure Breeding is not here tonight, but he's mentioned something in the past about when he'd go to flip to flower. If you put it in dark for 48 or 72 hours before you flip, he noticed that would dramatically reduce stretch on previously uh, pretty stretchy strands. So I, I forgot to add that, but I figured I'd throw that in. And no other grow. I see you've got your hand up over there. So I figured I'd pass it to you next. Yeah, I had a question for, for Spartan. Um, so I know that in the past, I've heard him say that at the facility he works at there, that, uh, that they use PowerSI, I believe. So I'm pretty sure PowerSI, I've never used it, but from my understanding, that is the 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 it's kind of like harmonic silic acid. I would think it is is it silica, and it that's is. basically what facilitator is. And I'm wondering if you've seen a difference of when you're adding that in the first three weeks, if when you're flipping from veg to twelve twelve flower, if you noticed a little bit more stacking with the power SI. 
So that's one more thing that I forgot to add that can be done to decrease node spacing and stop some of the stretch. Uh, what we do is a foliar spray of silica power SI, and we do at pretty high rates, um, usually around two mils per gallon. And the application rate of power SI is a, full, is a root drench is only a half a mil to one mil a gallon. And uh, we can do this up until bud set. Like I don't want to be spraying when I see buds, obviously, or any, you know, but um, so week two, week one, week two of flower, we can do um, foliar sprays of power SI. And that does seem to, as opposed to not spraying it at all, it does, it does seem to uh, reduce stretch. I would say, you know, noticeably, but I wouldn't say 50%. But I would imagine, I've heard tell that if you increase the silica concentrations, which I'm not willing to do, um, that, it does, that it does reduce the stretch. And then when you, you know, when you stack these techniques on each other, when you, you, when you do the warmer temps at night, when you do the power side spray, when you do higher intense lighting, all of those things together can nearly, I think you can, you can really, really affect stretch. Now, does that mean you get tighter node spacing? Not always. <laughs> Not always. You might just so, have a shorter plant. You might just have a shorter plant with, with now less nodes because it didn't stretch. A lot of times stretch is a helpful thing if you're using trellis netting, for example, like we do. We want it to fill the net. So we kind of use that stretch to, to fill every square. You know what I mean? That's so, what I do. So, okay. So, so like we use that to manipulate, okay, is it stretching too much? We want to slow it down just a little bit. Okay. Let's go ahead and hit it with a full year spray. Maybe it'll slow it down enough to where, uh, you know, we just play the back and forth and, and try to get it perfect. It's interesting that you're talking about it because that's the strategy that I was told and that I have been implementing is facilitator is base is pretty similar to, uh, power si from what i understand as a, now are you doing a root drench or are you doing a foliar spray I, i'm doing a root drench but okay. from i do it a, a half a mil in veg and then i was doing it i was told by the guy i got you know a guy who works at a grow store who i know is a big time grower that uh just when you for the first three weeks to only give it to it for three weeks because it kind of stays in the cells and then um to double it i double it from half a mil to one mil and it's the same thing i'm not giving it any more either than one mil i heard the same thing i heard guys give it up to two mils i did hear that too but i wasn't willing to do that either well, so you can't how should i say this? i don't think there's a i mean you have to go ridiculously crazy to get a toxicity of silica um silica is the, to my understanding it's this like the second might be the first i think it's the second most abundant mineral in just regular earth it's like in sand and it's like, you know, all over the damn place. But a lot of these potting mixes don't include it. So um, when you do include it, it makes a huge difference. If you've already got it there, it may not make as much difference. So it all kind of depends on what you're using in your media already. But the reason we kind of moved to the foliar application is because it doesn't play well with our nutrient regime. We're, used, we're on um, Athena nutrients now at work. And... Um, they have their own silica in their root, in their uh, mix, in the mix that they have. So we don't want to add a third party, something that, you know, we like to use a line that's used to play with each other. It's designed to work together. 
So if we're going to do any additions like silica, for example, like another silica power side, we have to do it foliar. Foliar. I can't say that word for some reason. As we got to spray it. <laughs> we got to spray it on the plants instead of mix it, instead of including it in our mix. And so that's how we do it. And, and it's just kind of a spot thing. It's not like we do it on every crop. It's just to control stretch when we need to. If we, if we veg for too long or if it's a plant, a new plant that stretched more than we expected, it's a tool, a tool in the tool belt. We're excellent. So we don't have to use it. Very cool. I appreciate it. Definitely a good no tip. Problem. And one other thing I mentioned uh, or haven't mentioned yet that I think is worth adding in this conversation is I've noticed if I de-leaf during the stretch, if I'm like pruning and shaving the bottoms, it's going to stretch more in my experience, where if I just let it kind of grow a lot of under bush while it's stretching, and then after the stretch is near finished or completely done, then I go through and clean it all up. That'll limit the amount of stretch because it's using that energy for lack of a better term to grow some of that lower stuff that you can, I guess, uh, save for clones or some people just throw it away or whatever, but, um, a lot of it does get pruned off, but I've noticed that it'll definitely take a strain that would have stretched maybe a little bit more um, and just let it chill a little bit and be more tameable in my experience. All excellent points. And um, the guy that reached out for the question, I hope he listens to this because it's been a lot of good information, even for someone to me that's been growing for a while. You know, this is all pretty, pretty high level growing tips here that I, I, I'm implementing myself. So I would encourage others to experiment with it, you know, and don't maybe try it in your whole garden, but you know, experiment with a plant here, maybe the same, you know, two clones. And then, you know, that's bro science. That's what I've always done is you experiment side by side, the same medium, same plant, same everything, and then see what works best. And then just implement that down the line. Here, I was, oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted, before it rolls away, because there's a great question or a great comment in chat from uh, Squiddy L. And they says, they say, what would plant, <laughs> sorry for my dog in the background. Would plant hormones, oxen, cytokines, gibberellins have any effects on those spacings? They 100% yes. would. 100%, they 100 will. Um, but the thing is, is that's very um, in an uncontrolled way or negative. Uh, mostly, like, for example, I know gibberellins, for example, will make the node spacing crazy long. Super stretch. Yeah, super stretchy. There's actually, um, I think I mentioned this all the time when we talk about hormones, but um uh, there's even some fungi that uh, I know in Japan it's called like bakane or like idiot disease, <laughs> they call it because it, the fungus uh, sort of produces hormones, plant hormones or analogs to them. I'm not sure which, but basically it causes the plant to just, just shoot up, just like continually grow like up and up and up and use up all its energy essentially. And it dies, um, which is, you know, sort of ignoble. <laughs> That's why they call it that. But uh, I wanted to say that with the short versus long node spacing, I actually don't know if this is true. This is speculation. But I do know that like with shade avoidance syndrome and that kind of stuff, it's the same processes that have to happen to create the plant to grow very, very fast. And that can cause node elongation. So I wonder if there might be kind of a plant health component to consider, if only for the fact that like fast growth sometimes is at the cost of like density or phytochemical uh, production or uh, stiffness or firmness or those sorts of things like that. Um, but that's just speculation, just something to think about. I would be more, I would, I would be more worried and I don't know, this is just my own layman's mind wrapping around it 
um, I would be more worried about it maturing being being stopped or abrupted or or paused. And then then having to like pick up a week at the end or or whatever it is, you know, if you pause it for a week, now do I have to pick up another week at the end of the run or. Yeah. Am I adding more vegetative growth, but then sacrificing something of the final product, which is kind of the whole point, or at least one of the major points, right. At the end of the day. Right. I want to give uh, Brandon a second to jump in and say, hello, Brandon. We were talking a little bit about how to uh, make plants have tighter node spacing or, or keep from stretching. If you have any thoughts after you give your introduction, you could uh, jump in. You're still muted. You're on mute. Sorry, it was muted. Um, what's up guys, Brandon Rust. You can find me on IG at rust.brandon. I specialize in agron- cannabis agronomy, microbiology, and uh yeah happy to be here i just got off the plane got to my ho- hotel room I'm gonna smoke some weed you're gonna smoke some weed in your hotel room let's say it <laughs> you know i knew somebody i knew somebody who i have to share this story i'm so sorry i i knew somebody who to co- cover up the smoke in their hotel room they uh, purposefully microwaved a ramen container without water and it like caused like, Burned you it. know, it, it destroyed. Yeah. It destroyed the microwave. I always found that a very trashy way to cover up your smoke. I could uh, give everybody yeah. a cheap, cheap tip. You could get a, a smoke buddy or a sploofy or any of smoke those products buddy, uh, oh, that buddy, you blow smoke school. through and it filters it out. Or you could put a wet towel down under the door in the bathroom, steam it up after you're done smoking and throw some soap in there right there at Spartans got those things will, save you a cleaning fee every single time and they're like how 20, much does bucks. cost they're not expensive they're cheap, dude no. they're like 20 bucks the sploofy yeah, as i say they're like 20 they're like if you go in there with 20 bucks you're walking out with one it's yeah. less than 20 i think it's like 18 or something like that you can get them on amazon and stuff too but the sploofy like 3.0 it's got a center the piece is exchangeable so like you can just keep the same one all the time and you can swap out the uh, carbon filters i used and- to take uh i used to take a uh a tube cardboard tube from like a a uh, roll of twi- uh, paper towels and I'd stuff it with fabric dryer sheets. Dryer sheets. We call that a sploof oh. or a zoom tube. Yeah, when I was a kid. I did that all the way through college. You fucking <laughs> blowing that shit out the fucking window and shit, a cracked window while you're fucking trying to <laughs> fucking getting high past your parents and shit. You got the incense or like your sage burning. You're fucking, I mean, they had to have known what was up. You put a few of those dryer sheets on the back of a fan. I went to uh, San Luis Obispo and I saw that in the college dorms. People put like the dryer sheets behind like an oscillating fan after they smoked and it just blows that nice smell all throughout the room. Uh, don't overload it though because you don't want to like set, set anything on fire or anything like that. But uh, I've seen forever people duct taping um, furnace filters to the back of those box fans and you run those in their in their rooms just to filter the air with the little carbon filter ones, you know, they're, they're something. But then I went to, where was I? Menards. And they actually sell box fans now with slots built into it. So now you can just slide, slide the filter right in. They're like, they embraced it. They're like, yeah, let's do this. But then they charge, it was ridiculous. They charge like, like you could buy two box fans for what this one box fan was because they put a fucking holder in it for a filter. It didn't even, I don't think it even came with a filter. It's just, it's just built to accept one. They got to pay off that casting fee to make a bunch of new uh, fucking fans, I guess. Something so simple. But anyway, it's interesting. Ways to not get yourself in trouble. It looks like some pretty good herb, Brandon. Is that something you picked up there locally or you brought with you? 
uh, allegedly. Uh, local, I'd be at the mercy of local weed. I don't think so. Yeah, I'm the same way. I just, I mean, I didn't want to put you on the spot there. Uh, no, I, uh, I have some Gorilla Glue and some Cake Crasher that I brought from from home. Yeah, I'm excited. Fucking Brandon, your uh, your NASA's your NASA fucking Agrotech fucking uh, package came today, so I got that with uh, what else came? Oh, Boka- Bokashi, uh, or not Bokashi, uh, um, Micro Plus. Nice. It's nice. cool because I was almost out. I was like two more days worth of fucking of the one before, so that was like came perfect. Oh perfect shit, timing. dude! I just found a seed in this Gorilla Glue. Oh. I wonder what it could be. I still keep I still keep all my seeds. I got a jar of back seeds are the best, bro. That's one, man. That could be that could be OG Kush breath times gorilla glue four. I still have a a seed from Brandon. You I got some gorilla glue from you way, way, way back, and it had a a seed in it. I'm like, oh, this is definitely gonna be an S1. I just I can imagine. Oh, it's probably it's probably crossed into one of the things I was working with back then. That was like right around the Limerilla time, like a little yeah. bit after Limerilla, and you were just starting to cross it into other things. So probably, I can't think of anything that harmed. That's why I'm thinking it. it's just a GG4, because I mean, that already it has like be, a yeah, It might just be S1 GG4. Because you were growing a lot of glue at the time, just like pure glue and yeah. or GG4, original glue. RIP Josie. Like yeah, had to cut, dude, but. In like 2014, 2015, dude, ev- it was like it turned into like Blue Dream, right? Yeah. It's like there was so That's much the it was on the in Michigan. Most especially. of it was shit, but I just stopped growing it because I couldn't fucking. I'm like, I'm not fucking selling pounds for 1800 bucks, dude. Like, no way. It's like standard now. 18 is like 22. Right I love that you're using it. the dollar bill <laughs> as your uh, joint roller. That's a old school method there. It works so well, joint, dude, to save my life. So I want to shout out to Bates Poem because uh, he told me today, sent me a DM, said that he pressed some um, limelight, some of that limelight I grew. So he just pressed straight bud. So I'm going to get some of that rising tomorrow to try out. I can't wait. He said it's fucking awesome. He said it's super terpy. Oh, yeah. All those stuff have crazy fucking terps. All that shit that I made. You're getting criticized in the chat for your uh, <laughs> for your rolling technique, Brandon. You want to answer? Are people for hitting that? On, on the dollars being dirty? I'm <laughs> sure that's like uh, whatever. I mean, I agree. Old habits die hard. Hey, I have some... a really healthy microbiome. So. <laughs> maybe maybe you guys can answer this question because I always was questioned if it was a true stat or not. But I'd always heard that uh, on a, the average dollar bill, they can find traces of uh, cocaine. So if that's the case, you've been on some fucking special joints, man. I think think I've heard something like that before. (laughs) Yeah, like part per billion. 80% of all US US currency has cocaine residue on it or something. It probably also has feces on it. Fucking in, you know, dance clubs and things like that. And just even like, I don't know. There's, it's been a lot of places. (laughs) It's not just paper. It's like a little bit of denim. That shit lasts a long time. It goes a long way. That's true. You're muted, Spartan. Well, if it has species on it, then it's very high probability that it has some other prescription drug attached to it, too. Yeah, I guess so that's, that's a true. real special joint. Maybe a little, a little parasite OG. Some parasite OG. <laughs> that's that's uh, a lot of people's plans. 
just kidding. <laughs> oh, I guess to get back on this uh, growing topic, we were talking a lot earlier about how to limit stretch and make node spacing tighter. But I would say if you learn how much your plants stretch, stretching is great for production. You can figure out how much it stretches and grow to your space a lot more easily, like and not necessarily worry about going through all this effort to limit the stretch, just maybe veg a shorter period of time or, you know, figure out that right strain that will fit your space and your veg time and pot size and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we didn't say it earlier, small pots can also keep a uh, proper amount of light, right? Proper light and nutrition. Sorry, go ahead, Tao. I, I was going to say, I want to push back on that a little bit. I don't want a plant full of stem because like some of those, yeah, you're growing more stem than buds. You want that, you want it maybe to be that tall, but you want it to be bud from bottom <laughs> to top. No? Yeah. You want yeah. Brussels sprouts. Well, that's what I'm talking about. In the stretch, it, it should fill in like a, a good, for example, OG Kush is one that will maybe uh, yeah. at least double and stretch. And the buds fill in that giant ass gap with these massive triangle fucking gnarly buds. And I think it's worth it. If you can some manage one, it, some of the ones even with the long stem in between can make massive chunks that make up for the in weight, I suppose. But, but yeah, right. I mean, people grow cookie, and that's just a bunch of little golf ball popcorn things, like with giant ass node spacing, with just like frosty ball, frosty ball, frosty ball. It's like it's it's not a high productive plant, but people still grow tons of crosses of it, and even that's straight up. The- that's the uh, that's the traditional domestication model for a lot of plants, like uh, wheat. Even right, yeah, you want uh, you want stem, and then you want. Well, I mean, every plant's a little bit different, but like, yeah, you just want as much of the thing oh, that wow. you are trying to get out of the plant. Um, you know, as much of that material and as little of the material you're not trying to get. So I feel like, yeah, I feel like a Brussels sprout style <laughs> plant where like all the bud is just coated around this like central stem would probably be that's like stout and easy to harvest would probably be it like just make a, a giant like canna club that you just you know you just that's break sour 76 if you look at my oh? sour 76 harvest they're only like 22 inches tall they're in one gallon pots and it's just little baseball bat it's like nug fucking tiny little node space like nug and it's just nice straight up nug meat all the way down the branch it's Straight like, up nug meat all the way down the branch is exactly the way you want it to be. <laughs> it is impressive. You have to look out for mold and keep good airflow I, and, and conditions, but it's uh, possible to do that. That's what I was thing. thinking. I was like, there's nothing we'd grow at work. <laughs> I will <laughs> say this. never pass microbials on that shit. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's definitely possible if you account for it, but I wouldn't do anything like uh, soil king remediation over there. I don't know if you guys saw that post. That's a little bit controversial. People were, it was like, he posts, he's like, everybody's just backdooring this shit to the illicit market. And I'm like, that's what you're doing. So I can't don't fucking put that on everybody else. He's like, I got remediation in OKC and in California. Fucking hit me up if you want to pass microbials. And uh, I don't know. Uh, it's It was definitely funny to see the, the comments were not positive. Somebody said, I've just got my popcorn. Don't mind me. You know, it's funny because you, you actually make a really great point there, Spartan, because what I just described was the ideal domestication model. But you make a great point is that it might not be ideal um, in practice, you know, and especially in the current climate in which we find ourselves cultivating, uh, especially commercially. Well, that's because no other crop is tested for microbials at the level that cannabis. Well, that's a good point, too. Yeah. Look, if we tested our food for heavy metal contamination, 
you would be shocked by the amount of heavy metals we consume. Shocked. Broccoli, arsenic. Yeah. Like and not just heavy metals. Can... Yeah. Pesticides too. I mean, there's a ton of the approved list is very long and they're not all great, great for your health, but they have yeah, the farmer's could, interest in mind. You, you could probably throw a dart at that list and then just take what you picked and find, oh, hey, this is carcinogenic. All of those things that are approved. There's so much fucking science on all of those things that if you just type in the chemical in like Google Scholar, you know, malathion effect. No. Well, damn, Brandon, look what you just found out on the EDTA, whatever the bullshit, the fucking the, the major oh, yeah. chelating agent used in almost all the fucking fertilizer. So the look petrochemical, it's not yeah. only just used in fertilizers, right? It's used in perfumes, cosmetics, soap, shampoo, uh, laundry detergent, um, a dish detergent. So EDTA, EDTA. Yeah, EDTA is a common chemical that's used in, across a wide spectrum of industry. And what it does, but they've used it in a positive manner too, right? Because of the fact that it, it chelates heavy metals once the, uh, the, the cation or anion that's uh, attached to the, to the chelator, once that's absorbed, it has the capacity to still grab onto stuff. And so what it what it's doing is it's grabbing onto heavy metals, making them bioavailable. And they're using things like certain grasses where they'll grow that grass in a contaminated area. They'll use the EDTA and they end up pulling up more heavy metals out of the ground. But if that's not the sole purpose and you're using the EDTA, you're essentially making those uh, heavy metals can somebody uh, give us and they're synopsis? going into like the food that we eat and shit, you know? Can someone give a synopsis of the article? Because somebody says, so what exactly did we learn about EDTA? And, and we're kind of all describing an article that was sent around our chief home grow uh, little group chat. And I don't think we've actually discussed even the, the name of the article or exactly what was discovered. I only kind of surface level read it to be perfectly honest, but uh, Brandon, I think Spartan I and a few scrolled, others. I no scrolled more. through it because when I read stuff, I look for the important parts, right? I, there's a lot of just mumbo jumbo in there, this, that, and the other. And it's, you know, I don't need, I don't need all that. So mind. the report is called ecotoxicological responses of the earthworm Isenia fetida to EDTA uh, addition under turf grass growing conditions specifically. I'm talking about a different, a different one. Oh, we're, we're okay. using well, the grass. One. I don't think I shared that one. This is one that I was looking up while I was, I sent that one actually because it had something to do with entomology and, and uh, agricultural chemi chemicals. And that's why I sent that one because, you know, our group is always looking at the soil food web. And one of the things that I want to share is like what, th what things in agriculture are being used that could potentially uh, damage the biology, whether it's macro or microflora. Which is great. Um, yeah, I'm not seeing it in the recent chat, so... No, the, I the worm implication was interesting I, though. I'd have to look it back up. I think I downloaded it, my PDFs, but I will say it's probably not something you're going to come across in like uh, organic inputs for dry amendments or anything. Like EDTA isn't just going to be like not in intentionally, your... anyways. Right. No. You can't use EDTA in organic uh, in organic uh, cultivation, or at least not for the labeling compliance. You can't. Well, my question is, 
I mean, like, sure, people probably don't intend to use all kinds of stuff, but like the number of times I've been onto like, you know, Facebook pages and like garden, uh, you know, guilds and things like this, where people are like, yeah, is it okay if like, uh, you know, I put all the soil in this like painted planter and it's like, <laughs> that might not be great for the soil um, and other sorts of things like that. So people can unintentionally incorporate these things all the time. Uh, that's kind of the insidious thing about it, right? And yeah, and that's another thing like paint. It is in paint, right? Because it helps. Um, one of the things that it said that it helps retain color from. Uh, like bleaching from the sun? No. Uh, oh. Like it adds color. Like they can use it to keep color longer in substances. Oh, I see. Like mustard. Like, okay, so it was used in mustard, I think. Oh, no, no, no. I'm confusing that with sodium lauryl sulfate. Another thing, another chemical I was looking at. I'm sorry. That's, that's a thing cleaner. There's a lot of chemicals out there. There is. I'm <laughs> sorry. I was do, I was going down a chemical rabbit hole. Sodium lauryl sulfate. Um, that's in a bunch of, of perfume and cleaning products. I think that might have been what you're talking about because I've looked into that before. And it's like the green cleaner is often quoted as like this clean, natural, healthy thing. But at one point it had 20% SLS concentration. And um, well, the, so the recommended the, percent is one, one percent. And if you get it on your skin with anything above one percent, you can have uh, like phototoxicity and pretty bad reactions on your skin. So that is definitely one I look out for. And people were like spraying it. My problem was I knew people that were spraying it all the way through the day of harvest. And I just think they were promoting that. That's the other thing. Like the green cleaner people were saying, oh, you can spray it all the way up through harvest. And I just personally don't agree. Yeah, so this, that's why I was looking at I was looking at a bunch of different pesticides that usually contain um, sodium lauryl sulfate as an emulsifier to homogenize the other ingredients that they're using in in the product, like soybean oil, peppermint oil, rosemary, stuff like that. Alcohol. They just want to be able to homogenize this solution so that the coverage and the eff efficacy is greater. And so I was reading and the most of the science that I read, it says that it's not inherently danger by itself, but through the manufacturing process, several um, carcinogenic chemicals are produced in the process. And if the manufacturing company isn't cohesively and extensively removing those carcinogenics from the sodium or sulfate, then those carcinogens end up in the product. always good to be aware of what inputs you have and uh, what potential um, impurities could be in there. I, I was going to say uh, another word, but impurity, I guess, works. <laughs> something that's tainting the concoction, even if you're thinking you're getting something good. Like, I think a lot of neem might be fine, but what they spray on the neem trees or whatever uh, actually becomes a problem. So you, when you're looking at as acting products, as Matthew's said often in the past, not all as acting products are created equal. Yep. Definitely. And the only way that you're going to be able to know for sure is if you have data from, from lab analytics to see exactly what's in there. And often people that spend money to get those analytics done aren't giving it out for free. Right. Or they have a financial reason to not want to be super uh, open door about it. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of like I, so I have access to some information on, heavy metal toxicities with a, it's a massive list. This person compiled probably 
I want to say between 10 and 20 brands of each organic input and then had them tested for heavy metals. And so I was looking at kelp, for instance, and there was literally one brand, one single brand that had acceptable levels of arsenic in it or, or levels of arsenic that would not, um, that were low enough that the plants percentage or would be undetectable of what they would be able to take up. And then everything else was average around 25 ppm of arsenic and then it was like you know but some of them were like 35 to 40. not good I'm, uh, I'm reminded of a situation oh did you want to go say no, no, that, that was it i'm remember i'm reminded of this uh guy named i think it was uh randy constant um he got in trouble because he was selling non-organic wheat. I want to say it was wheat or something. And, I think it was several um, things. I think he told me about this. It was over like a year plus. He was selling a bunch of things as organic and ended up, he wasn't yeah. growing them organic at all. He just filled out the organic paperwork and was growing it conventional, but selling it as organic at like yeah. three times the cost. Exactly. And the, and the funny thing is that I think how we got caught uh, you know, like this is a, I guess this is one reason why having sort of a data driven metric or having government regulation or some sort of like thing like that with the paperwork is that, uh, you know, the, I think the government or some other organization was able to look at like all of the organic food that of certain groups that they had sold previous years, how many crops there were that could make it. And then they like backtracked and was like, well, <laughs> there's not enough crop to make this be possible. So somewhere, somehow, this isn't working out. And that's how they were able to figure it out. So, you know, don't uh, don't always trust the label. Sometimes you have to, though. You but know here's the thing, too, though, right? <clears throat> when it comes to those labeling, the whole organic thing is just a marketing. It's just for marketing anyway, right? Because I keep telling, I keep, the way that this works is on a chemical level. Like, the scale that it works on, it's not really using much organic things right they use these inorganic elements that are processed into organic chemicals inside the plant but when it comes down to it the amount of organic matter it works as a holding capacity right a, a transport catalyst for these inorganic elements that the plant needs that's why having the organic matter is important because as it breaks down Usually the only thing that in any quantity that you're going to get from the breakdown of organic matter is going to be nitrogen, sulfur, phosphorus, and potassium, <clears throat> because those are what is inherently um, the, the most as far as inorganic mineral elements that are attached to carbon in the plant. However, the majority of that plant and that organic matter is going to be carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, right? And that's why that, that carbon, though, they make these functional groups. And these functional groups hold on to these inorganic elements. The only thing that plants really use are really, really, really low weight organic compounds, some like amino acids, and then some, some other... Um, organic compounds can hold that aren't like a, like a 
humic or fulvic or carb, uh, carboxyl group, right? There's other um, uh, functional groups that can kind of do the same thing. St. Bernard's yeah. observation booth claims that humans need a small trace amount of arsenic to survive. I'm not sure if that is true or not, but interesting. They say fun fact. And uh, somebody else said, if you want to find information on chemicals within a product, you can look at the MSDS sheet, the material safety data sheet, which I was also going to recommend earlier. And I forgot to say it. Great way to find information about a product. That's how I found out the percentage of SLS in green cleaner. Because if you type green cleaner, MSDS, it was from a few years ago. They may have changed their recipes. So I don't want to like hold them through that. Uh, allegedly, hypothetically, that was the uh, solution that I'm remembering right now, but it was higher than the 1% that I saw recommended elsewhere. So, and maybe there's a reason that they don't want concentrations of SLS higher than 1% because like Brandon said, maybe there's, it's just hard to stop it from being tainted by other outside impurities. Yeah. And it's definitely true that like, you know, when people say organic, of course, there's a cacophony of like <laughs> reasons why it's, it's, it's spectrum, right? Uh, I feel like cacophony is almost a better way to put it, but there's definitely people who are, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. It's a label. It's a label. Practices. What? Right. Like not using chemicals that are harmful to the environment and adding, a, uh, using things like a crop cover to help build soil and to build the organic uh, matter, right? The, yeah. To hold those nutrients. It's really about the, the energy that goes into the production, the use efficiency of what they're using, the environmental impact, and then whether or not what they use is going to acidify soil and release, uh, you know, break down organic matter, volatizing carbon and decreasing the organic percentage, uh, which is very, very vital for plant growth because all those microbes use that carbon to create other organic substances like uh, proteins, organic acids, enzymes that create new soil from these inorganic mineral sources. The enzymes make the soil? Enzymes can help break down, like uh, dissolve. Oh, sure. You know, so like phosphatase, for instance, it can solubilize phosphate um, from phosphorus minerals. Yeah, definitely. What, what percent of your soil mixes would you estimate are organic matter? Like, well, I, I don't it's have like a third, a third, a third, a third percentage on my tests, and it's typically around. 30 to 40%. So that's it's like really actually higher than that. Um, because the peat is, you know, it's all carbon, but the thing is it's broken down. Like it can't, it's the way that it's, um, been, re it's been basically oxidized in the way that it's been oxidized. It, it won't break down anymore. It's like inert. It's an inert substance. So that third, but like it's if it's a third peat, but it still has, Exchange sites on it still though. But you're saying it's not being shown in your organic matter when you're getting it tested? No. That's interesting. Cause like when you think about like the third, a third, a third, the, the two thirds that I would definitely think are not included would be the aeration, obviously like a stone. Um, and then you've got the peat or cocoa or whatever your uh, media is. And then a third compost, obviously that makes sense. A lot of organic matter there. 
and then whatever your amendments are uh, tend to be a bit of organic matter in there as well. Yeah. So you would think that would be something like 66% organic matter on these tests, but it's not. And then your ECE, when you're looking at your ECE, the ECE will be something like, you know, 15 to 25. And, you know, from, um, from a, like a data standpoint or from an agronomic standpoint, that's like crazy. You don't see that because you only typically see uh, maybe two to 5% organic matter in agriculture soils. And, you know, because the organic matter percentage is jacked up, all that organic matter has the, cap the capability to hold onto those inorganic elements that the plants need. And so it's able to quantify. What's ECE one time for those in the back? Uh, it's um, cation exchange capacity. So that's like the potential of the soil, like total? Yes. Well, there's also what's called anion um, uh, capacity as well, ACE, anion. Um, and what it does is the, the elements that have a positive charge associated with them, which is going to be um, ammonium, it's going to be calcium, magnesium, sodium, uh, potassium, and then copper, iron, zinc, right? Those are all cations. And so what that tells you is the, the total holding capacity for all of those um, elements that the plants need. And then anion, which they don't show, would be things like your nitrate, molybdenum, boron, phosphate, silica. Um, and those um, that they, they, they work the same way they, they have sites that are, are charged that they can move back and forth to, but typically in, uh, in agronomy, it's not listed and they're not looking at the anion exchange because most of the things that plant need with the exception of phosphorus is a cation. You know, it's, um, it's funny that you mentioned that I was watching a video of a virologist who was talking about basically I was trying to understand better how um, cell receptors and viruses can interact and how they pull them in like if animal cells but also for plant cells because of obviously uh, my profession and charged it well yeah it was amazing well it was really cool that he had this video and if I remember the title, I'll put it in the chat for those who are interested. But basically, it was really cool because they were able to show how these viruses, this particular, this is a particular kind that he was looking at. This isn't true for all of them. It's not all the same, but similar um, for this class where they were basically, they were literally hopping across um, through charge, like you're saying. Um, basically, like, you know, they would, they wouldn't always like, you know, um, mate with the same with the receptor the first receptor they come across they were like skipping across the uh, membrane of this cell almost like like lightning like it was just like one boom, like a, boom, like boom, a train boom. like the bolt like the rail of a bullet train propels it with magnetism i would say it was more like almost like um it was a little bit more stochastic than that 
Uh, you couldn't, it was random almost like, like, like where it would go the next way. Um, but, uh, and then like when it found a receptor to mate with it, it, uh, stayed in one place. And then, uh, the jack material would go in, in this case. And the, but the, um, the envelope would just kind of stay there. And, uh, I don't know, it was just so cool to see this like representation of, of that, because we often hear about how it happens you know, but not like in fine detail like that. And I just find that it's, it's very helpful to like sort of enforce what you're saying, or reinforce what you're saying anyways, that like, like with microbes and cell to cell communication and sort of the electrical biochemical nature of that. Um, I certainly don't understand it to a great degree, but uh, it is pretty cool to consider even in simple ways. So I was just reading this book right here called Principles and applications of soil microbiology. And um, it was talking about how soil aggregates can be bound by, you know, polysaccharides produced by microbes. And oftentimes uh, the microbes can't even break down the aggregates because they are both charged, right? And that aggregate might have a positive charge in that. Um, and the uh, by and the microorganism might have the same charge, and so it's not able to even like interact with it on on a, on on the those levels, you know, on those on those scales. Yeah, and like also, um, I think I posted a little bit this a few weeks ago. I was talking about how, and we've talked about the exudates that plants produce like from their roots and things. Um, but like a lot of plants produce apparently like just straight up DNAs, you know, just enzymes that just break down DNA uh, as a defense mechanism, these like webs of matrices of this like muse in the mucilage that we talk about. Um, and that's kind of fascinating because not only is there sort of environmental DNA that like various microbes and things are kind of producing and exuding, including plants, um, but like also it sort of creates a selection pressure for microbes that are pathogens to be able to actually get through this. And it's definitely caused a lot of selection pressure for organisms to be able to resist these um, and even beneficials for that matter. So like both uh, beneficial and detrimental microbes have to sort of like weather this um, biological storm, this like deluge of like acids and uh, toxins and, um, you know, like I said, DNA, uh, you know, splitting enzymes. Uh, it's very hostile to microbial life. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. I was looking at a book with Dr. George and we were looking at the amount of nutrient as far as, you know, their uh, elemental form carbohydrates and, um, and whatnot. And we're looking at both the xylem and the phloem and it is exponentially greater. The amount of carbohydrates, the amount of elements that the plant has sending back down into the, into the uh, soil itself. It was like, I was like, kind of like, I, I thought it would be the opposite, right? I thought the majority of the nutrition would be going up to feed the plant, 
right? Well, roots are the sink. What's that? Roots are typically the sink for for those things anyways. Even if they don't go out to go into the soil, that's where a lot of plants store, like the crumb of a plant or like the tubers of a potato kind of a thing. That's usually where a lot of, not all, but a lot of plants are going to store there. Also in fruits, right? But um, But, yeah, still what Brandon just said would be like the hell of a sales pitch for a cover crop, wouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't you want a hundred of those crop, you know, roots above your cannabis roots, just pumping shit into the soil, just, you know, their own, each little, each little plant, like say, for example, clover, each little clover, it's got its own little mini fucking nutrient cycling going around it in that little spot of soil. And it's just fucking affecting everything, you know, above it just kind of goes down. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think that should be standard part of our agronomic practices and we're going to see it happen on larger and larger scale. And you'll start seeing uh, multi-crop species being cultivated. It's all about, um, like for most countries, like for instance, in China, the switch is happening down in Mexico. They're switching, you know, they switched off of conventional agriculture chemicals for newer science, right? That has all the benefits of conventional um, agriculture chemicals, but none of the detriments. I'd be curious to hear more about that. That wasn't my experience, but maybe a lot has changed in like 12 years. Yes, over the last 10 years, that's where um, Dr. George has been doing all of his science. And then, so they have all the data from uh, NASA Agritech. And what they've done is, man, it's incredible, right? Because as I keep learning more and more about the processes and how it's done, you know, it's considered chemical manufacturing, but there's actually zero emissions and zero waste produced by the creation of. Um, Uh, of this fertilizer and because it again the carbon right that carbon getting it back into the soil it helps to release and hold onto stuff that's already in the soil right so it makes things even more the stuff that's already there it makes it, it can help facilitate its bioavailability to plants as well um but what they were doing they have i got to look at all the data and i have actually to submit all this data for like the omri listings and cdfa certifications so they can actually see what's happening in the soil as well as their crops but they took a species of rice that they were growing over there and they took the protein content from six to eleven percent and doubled yields and uh well, they set up a vertically integrated system to where they have um, fertilizer manufacturing and then they set up farms, right? He used his agronomic background to do the soil data and then he knew what he needed to put in there. So they'd formulate um, what needed to be in there and they started building up the soil health, the biology, creating new soil. Um, and so they, you know, they're expanding over there. And they, they built their, they built farms too. Right. And so they grew, they grow this really, really high quality um, produce that has high protein carbohydrate content, right. It's full of vitamins and minerals. And so what they ended up doing was they sell all of their, their produce that they use uh, or that they cultivate using 
the fertilizer that he's developed in the organic sections of the grocery stores and they they continually sell out of produce to where for the last 10 years they've basically been expanding and converting all these other types of um farming uh you know uh, industrial farms into using different uh techniques for their farming practices and their fertigation you know speaking of what you were saying about um the sort of the amount of resources that plants put into the uh to the soil in particular um it's funny to me because actually like you said that's actually very costly to do and a lot of uh sort of ecological research that looks at plants and how they interact with the environment you know, like with insects and microbes and things like this um and, and when they look at how symbioses form, it's kind of funny because sometimes when plants move to a new location, and I think I've talked about this with you a lot, a lot but for those who aren't aware in the chat, um, it's surprising to me because sometimes I get pushback on this idea uh, that's apparently been demonstrated in a lot of cases. It seems to be the model that people use a lot for a current understanding of how these things develop, which is that um, in some cases anyways, plants moving into a location where they don't have those relationships. See, those relationships develop, even though they're costly, because in aggregate, it makes the plant more fit and more likely to reproduce and, and more successful generally. But they do have to pay those costs, right? But it's because they exchange those, those compounds for, you know, like nutrition and other defense comp, uh, defense relationships and that sort of thing. But when they they go to a new location where they don't have those relationships, those costs don't go to those microbes always. Sometimes they go into growth. And so that's why I was surprised when, you know, because you said they, they go down to the, they go down, but I'm curious to what level, and I'm sure it's very variable, you know, from roots for only roots for storage or to the mucilage itself or, you know, to other, um, and certainly even to other plants, right, through mycorrhizae and, and uh, relationships like that. So there's this interesting thing where there's, there's a cost, but that cost is sometimes a very heavy cost that the plant has to play. And uh, I think it's one of the reasons why some plants have evolved to be uh, not very um, symbiotic or, or perhaps they don't, they don't, uh, they don't develop the same symbioses as others do. I want to also, give Dr. MJ a chance to jump in. Uh, oh, he, he's been here for a little bit. Oh, I I just, oh boy. He snuck in and I didn't give him a chance to say hello. So cheers, Dr. MJ. Welcome. Hello, guys. Sorry I'm late. Yes, I am Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I am here now. I've just caught up with something, but I'm, I'm glad to jump in. And uh, yeah, just got in the middle of, of one of Matthew's interesting um, explanations. So it gave me time to get set up. Always Matthew, happy to help. Matthew, right what you were just talking about, though, what, I, what I'm thinking, though, is that's where the advantage of the organic practices where people are reusing, like in beds or, or whatever, where they reuse the same media to where, yeah, maybe the first plant or even the second cycle of the plant, that relationship might be more costly to the plant. But what if the third cycle? Has the soil improved in such a way? Has the microbe life improved in such a way or the nutrient cycling or whatever? that by the third planting now has that 
balance kind of skewed into the plant's favor. That's kind of how I think you, um, you, you combat what you're talking about there. Well, but as long as they're sending the sugars down, they're not using them. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. They're, they're extra anyway, I, I, I assume. I'll say well, but yeah. they could use it for, but they could use it for growth instead. Yeah. An anecdotal well, trade off. There's a trade off. And that's why I like to look at things like when I'm talking about amino acids from an energy standpoint, from like how much metabolic energy, you know, how much actual energy, whether it be the conversion of, uh, of, um, CO2 to, to, uh, C, uh, carbon monoxide or the splitting of water. We know how much energy that stuff takes. We know how much energy each cell takes and how much you know, how many photons it'll take to create one, you know, molecule of glucose. And we know how many molecules of glucose, Brandon. you know, so there's, let me, let me ask you a quick question. Are those energy production specialized? So like you're saying you need energy to change the nitrogen. If it wasn't in an amino acid form, can that energy, is it like, um, I guess what I'm saying can you use that energy? Is it not like a car with a uh, gas and then a, an electric car where the energy used to make amino acids cannot be used for anything else but making or transferring nitrogen to the amino acids to proteins? Or is it, you, do you it's know the, the answer to that? Or is it just like... So what happens is there's certain pathways that, uh, that turn the nitrogen ammonium into uh, amino acids, and then amino acids are converted into proteins. Right. It takes energy in the form of ATP. So when we're talking about energy, that's, that's outside in, internal from like a, from the plant, anything that requires energy is going to be formed in the form of adenine triphosphate, which is a, 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 a phosphate group and it. It releases energy as it's pulled apart and turned into another chemical, and then it cycles back. And it there's a cycle in the in the the pro, uh, uh, in the uh, plant that is creating NADPH, NAD, ATP, and it's a cycle. And it just you know, and it requires the phosphorus, right? Phosphate. It requires phosphate molecule. That's why phosphorus is so important in soils. But it's about if you can conserve energy because the plant doesn't need to right. metabolize something. They can, they, can, they can use that energy for something else. It's not specialized. Well, but my they- question, I, I'm curious about that because do they stop making the other amino acids? I'm Just because sure they're getting more, does that yet. mean that they're stopping what they already do? Because in that way, they wouldn't actually be saving anything for later kind of like what you're saying about the sugars like well they do because i do have the the amino acid paper and it's called amino acids uh catabolism in plants and that is it tells you how much atp nad nadph and uh you know so it it tells you how much of that is produced by the breakdown and does it Uh, reduce the genetic expression I of other processes though that's the question that's a really that's a really good question and i have never come across any type of um 
like science? It's a good question. I, I don't know if the science exists. Yeah. Me neither. The, it's worth looking. Uh, one at would think that perhaps that could happen though. Right. Because, um, because well, plants. Right. Oh, right. I think that like, cause genes, they can up and down regulate, right. Exactly. They can perfectly replicate their code with everything that they need How? but sometimes the environmental conditions aren't, aren't right. Or the nutritional requirements for that cell aren't right. And so the way that they are writing, transcripting themselves, they'll do it like almost like skip a step if they have to, if it still works. And so you don't get, you get a down regulation of that gene and as opposed to like maximizing that gene's potential. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So like it's on my head potentially because I was just watching, a, I was just cramming my, uh, my head full of uh, uh, information regarding kind of like gene expression and, 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 and how, you know, like when you're doing, um, we're trying to figure out how certain things function. Mm-hmm. And especially since we've been talking, we've been worried a lot about hop latent viroid and, you know, it's basically just a really complicated strand of RNA, which, which gives it an incredible resilience somewhat to problems or to, to solutions, because whatever you would attack it with would also affect the actual machinery of the cell. So it's like, it's kind of like you can't win. It's, it's basically no different than messenger RNA, which your cells are always making. So and that's how it protects itself. It encodes no genes, but it regulates the expression because it's RNA. And, and so it'll, it'll, when it's being cleaved, it'll make micro RNAs and those go around and, and bind with and, and silence a bunch of other stuff. So, so over time, those genes don't get expressed. So in a similar way, I'm curious if amino acids, if they're getting a bunch of these amino acids or, or other resources, does it send a signal to the plant to stop making certain things or does the plant go excellent? I'll take more. And then, and it'll just keep making whatever it was going to make already. And then just kind of add that to the plate, so to speak. That's, that's an interesting I, question. I think what probably happens is any excess is stored, right? Because they do have, I did read that, you know, these things can be broken, you know, re like translocated, and and utilize in different areas of the plant and if they're being broken down and they're releasing and there's that potential for that energy to be there i mean what does that mean just my way of looking at it uh, again from the outside looking in a little bit because i only grasp certain parts of this but uh i think it would be just like the growth of the plant and, and the whole analogy of the barrel and, and the planks and it, it would be what's your next you know weakest link for your plant's growth because that's what its goal seems to be is it just wants to grow like gangbusters if you give it everything it needs so if it has an abundance of amino acids what's holding it back from from just processing all of that um, right storing nothing, it right yeah because yeah that would give it nothing, an advantage to growth Kind of offer a, exactly. a potential hypothesis yeah. or just theory spitballing here. I listened no, of to some course not, smart poker earlier. He was talking about one of his buddies uh, who's on uh, Sundays and confused shared a story about how they used mycorrhizal fungi, but it was mixed with like a humic acid or humic acid. And they mentioned they did a side by side with like four plants got it and the other four plants did not. The first 21 days, the humic and mycorrhizal fungi group was much slower growing. And Matthew's talked in the past about maybe mycorrhizal induced um, 
susceptibility to viruses and other microbes. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe it was dealing, even just like dealing with building that relationship to the mycorrhizal fungi versus not having to, or whatever it was doing with the humic acid versus not having to. Um, it slowed down for the first three weeks, but they said by the end of the growth, like when they took out the root balls and transplanted and everything, and by the time the plant was like finished, the much healthier, stronger plants were the ones that got the humic acid and the mycorrhizal fungi. So even though it slowed down the start, they had a much stronger finish. Right. Like, I wonder if it's like, uh, if we kind of think of it like a debt, you know, boon sort of situation, if you add a bunch of these amino acids and it's able to like utilize them effectively, then, then, you know, perhaps you're just kind of paying the debt that the microbes are inflicting and all in all, you create sort of a more uh, fit plant in that way. You know, it's producing physiologic, it's not, it's not operating at the same deficit, which would of course be a huge advantage, I would think. But uh, that's, that's the kind of crazy kooky stuff about physiology. It's very contextual. Like in in business, like Amazon, undercut everyone, take market share, lose money for a couple of years, and then you control the markets. So maybe it's something like that. It's like a, it's like a, yeah, it's like a virus that gets encoded into your genome and it never leaves. It kind of reminds forever. Dr. MJ even described just like a more simple process of like a seedling that has a large pot will spend more time developing roots first before it starts doing a lot of growth up top. Sometimes where if it's in a smaller pot, it might just be like, oh shit, I've developed this small pot and now it will start to grow shoots and even start to like flower if it's in a smaller pot than it would if it had space to continue to keep focusing on growing more roots. Yeah, that's always one of the things that I consider is when plants sort of slow down is that you're only seeing half of it. Um, so some of the things that you're doing may be provoking additional root growth or root development, um, especially around transplanting. I think that's a, a big reason that a lot of people think that that transplanting slows plants down a little bit because it does lead to like a, a burst in, in root growth. Um, but I'm still trying to wrap my head fully around what the topic of this conversation is. So I don't want to opine too much. Oh, well, we were just saying that, uh, well, Brian, you could bring it up. You, you sort of brought it up. I think, I think you'd explain it better. Um, we are kind of just all over the place. That's true. That is actually <laughs> the correct way to explain it. <laughs> yeah, that um, sounds, that sounds pretty typical, but I still feel like I wandered <laughs> in the middle of a conversation. I'm like, what the hell are they talking? Okay. I think I got the question. production. The question I had is, if you're applying amino acids to the plant, does it kind of work like, um, so does the plant then like, you know, get the amino acids, like uptake it, or, you know, it gets into the plant's tissues, right? Just uh-huh. being very basic here. And, um, you know, the question is, okay, does, is there some sort of like regulatory response whereby it's kind of like being satiated, right? Like when you're full, cause you've eaten food, like does, does that regulate the, the expression of, of more amino acids, therefore kind of saving energy, you know, so to speak for other processes or does the plant just go? You mean, excellent? does it offset sort of what the plant would have to produce for itself? Uh, yeah, and I think also it's, it's kind of asking if there's like a gene transcription where it like slows down the production or the pathway that converts the nitrogen into amino acids and then into proteins because it already has the amino acids that it needs. It, he's asking basically, does it just keep getting the amino acids and does it keep converting nitrogen into amino acids or does the 
the conversion process slow down because it's being satiated by the amount of amino acids that are available. Through like some sort of okay, artificial application. I think that this is going to depend potentially on, on what specific amino acids and, and what they're doing. Um, but I yeah, agree with that. I think that to some extent it does offset what the plant would otherwise be producing for itself when it, it sort of has that it, it it would reduce the the trigger to produce more of it. But yeah, that that's makes assuming sense that it's a replacement sort of amino acid. Yeah. Now, because that's what I've often done is just supplement. Like I could see on my soil tests, there's, you know, you know, very, very little nitrate in my soil or ammonium in my soil. And it's because I'm just spoon feeding amino acids, but you can see on the tissue tests that the nitrogen as a total percentage and the protein content of those plants are also really high without having to have it, you know, in uh, ammonium or nitrate nitrate form. Okay. And then that was actually partly, we were also talking about how, you know, the, the microbiome um, of a plant will influence a lot of factors. And that was just describing how, um, like the en the enemy, for anyone who wants to look it up yourself and are curious about this topic, it's called the enemy free space hypothesis, right? So it's this idea or enemy free space theory, maybe now, I, honestly, it uh, depends on who you talk to. But basically, it's the, this is also true for other organisms, but you know, you develop all these symbioses and interactions with parasites and beneficials or mutualists rather, and all this stuff. But uh, if you, for some reason, get transferred out, like you're a seed and you blow on the wind or you happen to get caught in some fur and you go a long distance away, a very long distance, and you get to a new location, um, some of those symbioses that you relied on won't be there. But some of the costs associated with those symbioses will also not be there. So in some ways it can actually be a better fit, so to speak, um, or there's some benefits that they can reap mm. uh, at least temporarily or even produce. Or are rather, you assuming in, in symbiosis, are you assuming parasitism or mutual? Yeah, all symbioses. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, to the extent that you relocate any organism to a novel habitat, um, I mean, fitness tends to be, less suited to the new habitat. Um, and part of that is because of the lack of, of symbiotic organisms to work with in the ecosystem. Um, there may be less sort of parasite pressure, pest pressure, whatever, um, predation. But, um, you know, on the other side of it, there's often like fewer food sources or other things like that. For, for plants specifically, um, I can't imagine it being generally a net positive. Sometimes those things are net positives for, for organisms, but most of the time they're, they're net negatives, right? I would say I've definitely, I would say that I've read literature where people have, where the authors have stated things like to the effect of oftentimes, like you just say, those symbioses are really important. It's not that the plant couldn't exist. And I think in some cases it can be a great benefit uh, that's kind of how refugio works in a sort of a reverse way. You know, a, a pathogen comes out and wipes out 99% of the plants, but because they were somewhere else or because they weren't in a, an area where the vector could easily get to them, uh, you know, maybe that was even like a detriment up until then, and then they're surviving and then they kind of branch out afterwards. So 
uh, you know, it's all contextual at the end of the day. I think that that's one of the yes. one of the things that about ecology. It's all contextual at the end of the day. Absolutely. <laughs> like what 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 creates fitness depends on the the condition that you're in and the specific pressures that you're under. Um, and oftentimes, I mean, this is the, the issue with invasive species of almost every stripe, right? They get introduced into a, a new ecosystem, a new uh, habitat, and there's less competition um, or less predation. And as a result, they're able to, to sort of thrive in those environments. Um, so I, it certainly does work in that direction, too. I um, noticed that Noah the grower showed off his garden earlier. So Noah, if you're able to get back to the garden at any point in the show, I'd love a actual talk through of the garden and we'll spotlight you and, and give you the moment that it deserves. Cause I saw that earlier and I Brandon stopped talking when I spotlighted it. So then I unspotlighted it. Cause I didn't want to like take over the show, but then I realized, you know, it deserved the, uh, the moment. And I do have another topic that I saw on Instagram. I even saw Brandon Russ comment on it. Uh, Cascadian Grown post, and I think it might be an interesting little discussion until maybe Noah can get over to his garden. Does anyone know the mechanism behind praying leaves? Not why, but how? And I see Brandon said, look up turgor pressure. And I saw other people talking about turgor pressure as well. And I also saw people talking about pH. And even I uh, talked about turgor pressure. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, I think so as well. And he was talking about like nicastic movement, or I'm probably mispronouncing that, but there's a bunch of different heliotropic. Uh, and other types of movement, but I was curious if the panel maybe wanted to talk about that because I did think it was an interesting little discussion that I saw happen. Uh, I think that might even been just today, 18 hours ago. So uh, any thoughts that maybe we could expand on that some more? Because and, and do we think that the praying represents a healthy plant? Like you see the leaves behind me in my little logo, they're kind of like that upward 45 degree angle. But um, I've often actually said, I think that like flat usually is a sign of good health. And uh, that should I'll be moving. Yeah, they go kind of up and down throughout the day, right? Yeah, they should right. go up and down during the day. So oftentimes, catch, I mean, seeing the praying leaves just depends on where you're catching them during the, the light cycle. Um, I think turgor pressure is the answer to how this happens, not necessarily why this happens. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, okay. I agree with that it's how it happens. My understanding is that it's uh, the, the cells are expanding with water and the yes. water pressure. Exactly. But, well, and, but and the why, why is that process triggered? I mean, that, oh, that's sort of the mechanism. So saying turgor pressure is sort of like saying muscle or something. I mean, muscle yeah. is how <laughs> well, your he, arm moves. He did ask. He did ask. I want the, the not why, but how and how it would be turgor pressure. And then why I could have a lot of pressure? reasons. So yeah. I, was, I have a book that I could look it up. I don't have it with me. And it's going to be in um, the molecular biology. Isn't that so, just, um, Is I mean, maybe not just, but like, we're kind of like what you said, Dr. MJ, um, basically that like, you know, like you said, it depends on where you're catching this process. Cause like, obviously water, you know, through capillary action is brought up through the roots and there's pressure. And then that pressure is keeping up, you know, into the plant, which is why plants have kind of a top out for how tall they can get depending on their physiology. Um, I think the, right. I think the why is interesting actually, because um, there's, he was talking about how it happens sometimes during light and sometimes it happens at night. And I will say like, you see behind me, I'm fine with it being at like upward 45 degree, but if it starts going past that, where it starts like shading itself, I think that's a, a trigger from too much light and yeah. it's not happy. And so yeah, there are little warnings like that. To... Too much light thing. Cause it'll happen when the plants are lower. I mean, like 
at the same height. It'll, they'll be fine one day and then praying the next day. It's not because the light got brighter. Well, well, it's not the only reason the that time. it happens. There's a number right. of reasons that plants yeah, I was say, to this. Let me just chime in quick and say I've seen unhealthy, deficient in nutrient plants praying, looking like they're praying and healthy like when they're green. So yeah, I, I kind of agree be, with you. Yeah. I think the issue with it being associated with plant health and healthiness per se is because a lot of people associate unhealthy plants with like drooping and you know either hypoxic or or you know burning tips even but the the drooping wilting look and you're not going to get a plant to go from sort of praying to to drooping very quickly unless you really screw something up um there are sort of opposite ends of the turgor pressure scale so in that sense the plants always look healthier they could still have problems though I suppose you could say it's evapotranspiration that's mediating that. And then, and then the process is related to that. So like photosynthesis, right? Because if it's happening more or less, you know, because those plants open and close their stomata, this is yeah. like a cyclic reaction. So, I mean, yeah, I remember- the plants control that to some extent by opening and closing their stomata. Exactly. They can control to, uh, to an extent the turgor pressure within them. It's uh, funny. I've actually seen the over too much light cause it to go up, but also cause it to go down, like the leaves to uh, flip away. Yes, those are both photo protection responses that plants will do to to start avoiding excessive lighting. Um, I oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, uh, I was just gonna say, you know, another anecdote from my uh, ornamental horticulture days. Um, we had a problem where our plants were assimilating sugars. These were gerberas. Um, they were assimilating tons of sugars and basically what was happening is they, they were actually bursting. Like the stem, the flower stems were literally bursting from <laughs> too much water pressure. We were irrigating too much. Um, yep. And uh, they just went too hard and literally, you know, the, the bursting of the leaves and, and things like this would happen. And, and uh, yeah, that was just kind of an interesting experience um to be told yeah, especially that. on on high humidity days where the the plant really can't get rid of the the moisture through its leaves there's uh insufficient vapor pressure deficit to absorb the the excess sort of moisture um so you can have fruit like exploding in situations like that because of buildup turgor pressure like trying to mop up with a wet mop like there's already water right <laughs> you, you can't take up more of it yeah Yep, exactly. And those are that's actually also a, a, a factor that would make um, leaves prey um, or, or not prey. Having a, a higher VPD uh, would cause them potentially to, to stand up and prey. Uh, somebody in the chat asked, Spartan, what pH do you like to give your foliar at? I just saw that I was getting ready to answer it. Uh, we don't for the silica, we don't usually adjust the pH. And is it pretty high or we low? We use RO water. I should be, there should be clear way. We use RO water and it's just RO and silica. What was that? The yeah, other pH would be pretty high with that. It's gonna, yeah, it's going to be pretty high at that point. I remembered it was either one or the other. It's like on a higher or lower end of the spectrum. It's so just monosicilic acid. So I'm not sure if it does affect it as much as the... Uh, Honestly, I, I'll have to put it. I'll pop a probe in there. I'm not sure if it's going to be read anything with just that in there, though. I don't know if it's enough. 
Well, maybe, maybe at two mils per gallon, it would be enough to stabilize the pH. Do we add a surfactant? No. Uh, we do use uh, we do use atomizers though when we're spraying it, so that does make a difference. It's not like we're using your typical <laughs> pump sprayer or something. Yeah, and if you wanted to, you could add a surfactant, especially if you didn't have an atomizer or something for sort of people that are listening. Right. Um, th there's no, there's not going to be a conflict there. You could go as little as like a, if you're doing just a gallon or something, you could do a drop of Dawn dish soap. Yeah. You know, Dr. MJ, I just want to chime in here and say that there was some, some people who were saying that they owed you an apology in chat, uh, that they really respected your um your views of uh light systems and i don't actually remember the details but if you want to you can check the chat either here i, I got a note about that i think from both from jack and smart right as i was joining into the program so i'm gonna have to go back in and check that out we'll, we'll see what that's all about but that's that's yeah, always nice anyone, to hear yeah if, nice anyone to wants hear, to, if you want to say that again or something because he's here now um but uh i don't know i just really appreciate that and i, I just wanted to champion like I don't know. I've been wrong about things before. So, um, or I've had opinions change. So I, pre I appreciate anyone who's willing to, to say that. And sometimes it's a synthesis of what we both thought too. So we're, we're, we were both wrong and right. <laughs> Indeed. We're all learning together. It's, it's honestly a good thing to be like wrong in a sense, because then you learn something, right? So, or at least advance your knowledge in one way or another. And, and I think we're all going with the best knowledge that we have to date. And if there, something comes into their perspective that changes that, and brings them up to a new perspective. I think that's perfectly reasonable and, and noble of somebody to accept and, and just move on and say, hey, you know, maybe I was wrong about this. And maybe I had some influence from a lighting company that made me feel like this was the best way. Uh, there were third party people that were saying, maybe here's a more reasonable way to look at it for the actual use of the grower's case. And um, I felt like when I first saw my grow doing what he was doing, I was like, holy shit, this makes so much sense because that's like, exactly what you're doing. You know, you hang the light, how far from the canopy and like, what is the actual light hitting the canopy? And like, it make, makes a lot of sense to me. But I think it's also interesting to know the uh, sphere testing data as well, to know yeah. what the light's fully uh, capable of and the potential of it. Because like in a room where if you got a bunch of them and you're cranking, like it is interesting to know the max uh, PPF of each unit and how much you're going to space them apart and all that good stuff. Yes, yes. No, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm always interested in in repairing bridges that that may have been uh, incidentally burned down. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that's encouraging. Um, there had been some sort of what I always felt was needless conflict there, and I'd always wanted to to just have a chance to sort of let everybody understand what I was trying to do. So. It sounds like some of that has happened and that's always encouraging, but I, I don't really know what happened. So I'll have to go back and, and check out the, the replay of the chat after our... There was a big back and forth and a lot of people started saying like, so is HLG no good anymore? I still have an HLG light that I've been running in my veg. It works fucking great. It might not be the best light in the whole world. Bar lights might more efficiently spread things out, but I still think that HLG makes quality lights personally, in my opinion, and they have had good customer service in my experience. And I know Spartan also has had great experiences with them, but um, some people have pointed out they might have hot spots compared to like more uh, bar style lights. And it just depends on how you're running on the environment. Like my veg space is small enough that that little square covers the entire space. So it's effectively yeah. like a, it's, it's perfect. That's the, that's the thing for smaller sizes. They work really well because they, they can sort of cover that. And the, the difference between the edge and the corner 
um, isn't that isn't that big, but in a larger space, and it just helps so much to get the the light physically distributed, which is possible in an LED bar array. And their new units are smaller physically, so they don't you have to hang them much higher to get the same sort of um, distribution. Oftentimes, so. You can see they're trying to go more bar styled with like the Diablo and the Scorpion or whatever. It looks more like a bar. Yeah. There's like three layers. It's, it's spread more out to the corners. So they're kind of moving towards what the other competitors have kind of been doing for a long time. Not exactly the same footprint, but I think that also makes them attractive and unique to some customers. Like they like that look or whatever it is or believe in that build. Like even like going from like red to black, like it's like a sexy people. Somebody pointed out. I posted this meme and it's like uh, my three-year-old carbon filter watching me hang up a brand new LED. And the guy was like this dude with like a completely like ash covered face, like smiling. And it was just like hilarious to me because I'm like, that's so true. So many people have old carbon filters, myself included, with a nice LED up there. But when you take that photo of your plants, you've got that beautiful LED up there. Uh, it is something to like feel good about. They're not cheap necessarily. They work well when you get the right one. And uh, I don't know. It, it, people become brand loyal with anything, cars, shoes, yeah. clothes. So it's not a new thing, but uh, you, you see it cause unneeded division sometimes. And I think he was representing his, the company he was working with. And that was their perspective was that testing is wrong. We don't believe in that. Our testing is better. And um, he was kind of standing on that team. And now that I think that he's no longer affiliated with them, he's got a different opinion and he's probably I'm more unbiased. And shout out Grandmaster Level, since you brought up HLG. Grandmaster Level, I'm a pretty good judge of character. And when I first started watching YouTube with uh, grows and all that stuff, he was straight from the beginning. He's like, the first grow I had, he's like, I didn't even get a pound of light or whatever. And he was always truthful. And I had mad respect for Grandmaster Level right from the beginning on that uh, on that subject alone, on that, uh, you know, uh perspective alone but as i watched him he's always straight up so i have mad respect for grandmaster level and he's going to start producing his own lights and i'm sure um they won't be garbage but you know we'll see so that's all yeah, i mean I don't, i'm not a light guy and everyone you know who knows but from what i've seen i like grandmaster level straight up yeah you know just this has gone on for, for a little while and it got it got personal in a way that it never had to. So I, I will say I'm, I'm going to have to reapproach this with a, a grain of salt and a, a bit of skepticism. Um, I haven't had anybody else treat me sort of the way that I felt I was treated by by that show. And. Um, Oh, I didn't realize that. Point. Yeah, so, so, so right. this isn't, and I was never given a chance or an opportunity. My, my initial reaction was like, I'd love to come on the show and explain what it is that I'm doing and why. Um, and, and there were just a couple of different sort of uh, public outbursts of sort of just telling me that I was wrong and lying and and a sellout and a bunch of stuff. And, well, you I know, I'm not used to getting sort of attacked by that. And I'm certainly not used yeah. to getting attacked in a way where I wasn't able to defend myself or even get a word in edgewise. So I am certainly encouraged. Like I said, it's always nice. And I'm always willing to sort of try to rebuild bridges that have been incidentally burned down. Um, but yeah, I, I do still sort of have some hard feelings about that. And, and it, it may, I, I need to, to readdress it. But I'll, I'll say the same thing again. Um, it, it would be nice, I think, if, if I went on his show and we could maybe air some of this. I, I'd always been willing to do that. 
Well, I mean, I, I don't, I'm sure you know that I'm on this show and I'm sure I can talk with him and get you on the show. I mean, we have to get the show back going again, but uh, I'm sure he'd be happy to have you on. Or if he wants uh, to come on here, he's in the chat. I mean, we, we have people on the show all the time. Them, I, I, I don't know long. if he's in chat still or not, but we, we want to build community. The whole point of the cannabis community is to be together. I hate when there's petty shit that pushes people apart and right. not saying that it was petty on your, your part. There was, I think everybody should be able to have their side, at least be able to voice their opinion though, for sure. Yeah, At least like, explain where they're coming from right? and have apologies if they're needed and put it in the past and just say, you know, say where you were coming from and, and how you feel. And then let's, you know, grow together, you know, let's be a community yeah. and, and, and be, everybody can support each other. That's a, a place that I think we can get to. It just takes time. And it's like, you rightfully feel the way that you do. So it's going to take time to rebuild those bridges. And I think um, it's just good that we're moving the right direction. Yeah, it it totally is. And I I mean, I'm glad I got that a little bit off my chest because I I don't want to be considered sort of like the rude one in this situation. I'm always willing to to try to to do this. And I was really sad that it got sort of turned into a thing like that in, in the first place. So um, you know, the more friends we have in, in the community and everywhere else is always the better. And, you know, I think you guys all know me pretty well. So, you know what I'm all about and sort of what, what my I'll, interests are in this community. I'll publicly say a lot of people, whether it was about HLG or, or Mars is an easy one to point fun at because they sponsor a lot of people and they're like, oh, he's a sellout. He's sponsored by Mars and he's giving a discount code. But you give discount codes for every light if you can. And do people want to pay more? This is the cheap home grow. We want to save you money. That's the whole point. We're trying to get you things at a better price than you would pay for it otherwise. He's giving you unbiased reviews. He's reviewing multiple lights. It's not just the one. It's several dozens. I yeah. can't even count all of them at this point. It's like it's- over one a week, maybe. It's just like it's so hard to keep up with. There's so many lights and a lot of them are very good. There's a lot of different price points, a lot of different companies. There's a lot to choose from. And if you can get a discount on it, why pay full price? <laughs> I mean, I, I worked out a couple things with different people, different companies that I, that I use their product. And since I use their product, I'm like, Hey, you should give me a discount code and set me up with an affiliate program. Cause those are awesome too, especially like this. As a consultant, if somebody is like switching over a system, they're like, look, we want to go with soils and we want to go with LEDs. We're trying to decrease our costs. We know it's going to cost money up front. And I can offer them that service with a company that I work with as well, right? So I can get them. So it's kind of uh, like being able to do that is really beneficial, especially if you um, are working with a company and you're showcasing what what uh uh their their product in your space or whatever it can help you save money as a as a uh grower you know for instance petrochemical. yeah absolutely and people really need to know brandon that information right i mean it's not like you're pushing it on them it's like new growers that are getting set up that want to know what's the right equipment to buy yeah and here's the thing when a new grower most of the time isn't going to go drop thousands of dollars on a home grow setup unless they are and that they have done some massive research and feel extremely comfortable with what they're doing typically people want to start off small maybe even just a little two by two tent that costs 75 bucks from amazon a little mars hydro light you know some fox farm soil and they'll just go for it, not knowing anything. I often forget because of 
how far along I am in my journey that there are people that are at the very beginning, right? And they don't even know how to germinate a seed. You know, so a lot of people in California, because we have clones everywhere, people get started with clones. They go to the dispensary, hey, there's some clones, they buy them, they're like, oh shit, now I need more soil. Now I need a tent. Now I need a light. And they just get it coat like a few hundred bucks or less sometimes they can get started for. And I advocate that people do that, but you're right. It's so easy to think that everybody has the same information in their head as you have, but it's uh, important to have the perspective that there are a lot of people out there that are just getting started and uh, to consider their perspective. That's why I miss our old host back in the day. He would often come with that perspective of the, you know, newer grower. And he'd give a lot of the, a lot of the times that we'd be having these questions that might be a little esoteric and over a lot of people's heads, he'd bring us back down to earth and be like, all right, I'm going to ask you a real basic question. And it was a, a good balance, I think. Yes. But a lot of people criticized him for that, unfortunately. Um, I was looking at like the reviews on Apple or something the other day, and they were from like a year plus ago. And some people were like criticizing the, the old host. I'm like, man, it's not even me. And I was like, give him a break, you know? <laughs> I didn't reply. It's just in my head. I was thinking that. But yeah, when uh, he would ask those questions on this show, it really served a, a purpose. You know, he was like the audience's man on the panel. So, um, They'd ask those kinds of questions that I'm sure a ton of people were thinking about. That's a perfect way of putting it. Yeah. He needs to come back for an anniversary episode or something. We got to be coming up on where, where are we up close to a 50 or a hundred. Where are we? We're at? coming up on three years. So we're at 150. Our hundred year anniversary. Three years. <laughs> three years. Three years. But we're well, at three years into my five year plan. I got to make it now. I have to make a 10 year plan. Only certain kinds of leaders make 10-year plans, Brandon. But you are going to China, so. I'm going all over the place, dude. I got to go to China. I got to go to Mexico. I got to go to Peru. I got to go to Colombia. I'm, I'm gonna be going to go pretty everywhere. goddamn big in Mexico, man. There's some crazy numbers I'm hearing out of Mexico. Oh, my God. I feel like Mexico is. Um, They're talking in hectares. They don't even talk. Colombia is the same way. <laughs> Listen to Breeder Steve. He's got hectares on hectares. You could look at his fields. He's talking about if you send him 100 seeds. He'll have a living library and you could go down there and he's going to have like a Cessna little passenger plane and he'll fly you through groves of cannabis. And then you can walk down there and smell like, oh, here's your velvet punch F3 uh, and in this field, you know, and here's how it grows in this area. And he's got like 10 different areas where, you know, this one's up on the mountain where it rains more and this one's down more in the valley. And this one's like wetland. It's like he's doing it crazy, like the breeder's dream, like what he used to do in Switzerland, I guess. But now uh, he's getting his opportunity to do it down there. It's fascinating to see people do it at that scale, though. The, what Dr. George did out in China, we're going to be replicating that here as well. So we're going to be setting up a, a plant and a farm and we're going to be making high nutrition food, setting up a vertically integrated operation for farming and food and all that as well as cannabis stuff. Good stuff. Hey, uh, I know it's about that time that Spartan Grown, you do uh let his dogs out, refill his tray and do all that stuff before the Michigan Bros Grow Show. So if you have any final thoughts and uh, shout outs that you want to give, go ahead. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, Michigan Bros Grow Show, our guest this uh, today is Blue, Blue Greenstock, you know, Avocado Tech. Blue blue Green Tank. Green Tank. I'm sorry. Green Stock's okay. out of my mind. I'm, I'm, I just looked at your screen <laughs> and I'm a little elevated right now. So forgive me. But yeah, we're going to see Blue here in a few minutes. So uh, follow me over there, Michigan Bro Grow Show after this. And uh, shout out to the chat, Epic as always. Shout out to GML for stepping in today and, and seeing him in chat and getting everything out in the open. I like to see that shit. And shout out to Dr. MJ and everyone on the panel. It was an excellent show today. And uh, 
I'm ready to go let these dogs out. <laughs> I'll see you guys. Oh, yeah. Fuck the MCMA. How could I forget? Never forget. <laughs> yeah, don't give in to uh, big corporate lobbyists uh, getting rid of home growing and caregiver rights. That's never a good thing. So that's why he's against the MCMA, and we should all be against it and be aware of things like that coming to Oklahoma or California. Oh, or dude, states. we have some cool stuff. We have, some, we have some amazing legislation that I would love. I'm trying to help get onto the ballot to be voted for state question 818 and 819 oh man they're so well written i i couldn't be any more uh enthusiastic about if they implement 818 it'll basically preserve our medical program the way it is but write it into the state uh, constitution uh, that way it can't be uh, changed with just uh regular legislation uh, regular legislation um, like uh, statures, so it can't be changed through stature. And then the adult use bill is freaking awesome too. I mean, it's fifteen percent excise tax, but it also allows you to write off of your, write off your business expenses like a typical business. And then it would make zero uh, taxes on any medical. And the only place that it would collect that fifteen percent would be at the register at the dispensary. And then. Um, it allows for contingency for interstate. Brandon, I got to cut you off. You're going to bring too many people to Oklahoma with all these good laws if they get passed. And I got to say, no other grower, <laughs> unmute yourself and uh, tell tell us what we're looking at over here because it looks pretty uh, fire. And I also heard Mississippi is going to go. Uh, Mr. Maccabee or somebody in the chat earlier said it's going to be uh, square size of the canopy, not plant count, which is uh, sounding like a good thing for Mississippi. So good on them. And Noah, take it away. Yeah, that's uh, this is the plan I'm taking down today. We got a lot, of, a lot of work tonight. That's what the rule of blue for. And then uh, this is a uh, gelato cross. This is uh, overflow G. Uh, this one's platinum. Girl Scout OG. This one is Dosey Dose 55. That's apple fritter right there. Bumpy's cut. And that one in the back over there is a Sherberdo. And this is just my, my seven right there. And I got my next run, eight right here. Yeah, I've been just uh, putting in a lot of work. I kind of got behind a little bit, but, you know, it's, uh, man, I'm doing pretty good with my 15. Are you vegging under like a T8? T8 type yeah, setup? Yeah, T5s, yeah. T5s? Two, two T5s, yeah. Yep. Looking good, pretty full and uh, yeah. frosty as usual. Oh, man. Dude, I'll think I, I've been slacking on taking some pictures and stuff. But that right there, this gelato cross, this overflow. It's uh, bigger than I think your last run with the organics. I think you're getting more used I, to it. I'm learning. I'm learning. I, uh, I'm definitely going to retire the five gallon pots. I think that they need a little bit more for the size plants that I grow. You know, my lights and really each to each their own. But I like the sevens quite a bit more. I feel like more stuff is available for the plants and the organics. But yeah, they like totally as much man. as you can give them. A lot of space, a lot of food, and all that good stuff. So oh, they're looking killer. Absolutely. Yeah, this was a good show. Uh, I was just kind of listening to everybody. And man, Super Bowl this week, this next week. Who do you guys like? Who do you like, Jack? You I like guess you got to go Rams. Got to yeah, go Rams. Okay. Yeah, our California. And the other teams from Ohio, I'm originally a Clevelander, even though I'm more of a Packer fan than a Cleveland fan. But, uh, yeah, definitely 
we'll be watching in the background over here while we do the show next week. So I'll, I'll be here at least next week. I'm sure a few of the panel members will be. We're not the sportiest panel for the most part. I don't even know who's playing. Oh my well, God. It's the LA Rams now. That you Rams and the Bengals, I think. Okay. <laughs> yep. Bengals. I haven't, I haven't watched football in so long. I got to admit, me the boy. Busy. I cut cable like five years ago and or ten years ago now. Holy shit! And hockey I've just for the only thing worth watching anyway. Really, man. That you said was hockey. The... Well, yeah, hockey, and not even the playoffs. Deep into the playoffs, I guess when it counted. Well, YouTube, man, you can take like full on college courses on YouTube and stuff. It's like yeah, I can watch YouTube and watch way. like seminars and stuff you can learn how to code on youtube for free like in python like there's like a four-hour thing and it teaches you how to fucking Dude, code. everything on youtube you can find anything on a video for everything man you need to figure out how to fix your truck and it's a 1982 ford ranger it's going to give you the exact instructions to pull out your radiator get under that you know like everything you need dude it's crazy it's awesome. an art dude so there's like there are some really really sophisticated graphic artists that put together you know really intricate um you know videos of like cellular mechanics and how those things are working those infographics are awesome yeah. and like the one they can do like the live demonstration of how it works and, and pair it with the knowledge it, it can really help it stick in your mind when you see it like that at least for me i always uh as a visual and auditory kind of learner, it helps. Hey, yeah, yeah, for, my, my food just got here. So I'm going to, I'm going to hop off, say, say goodbye to everybody. Appreciate uh, all the panel members and always like coming on here. And you guys can find me at Bokashi earthworks.com face. Uh, and also IG Russ Brandon. Enjoy your Later, meal, man. Thanks, yeah, man. Brandon. So, catch you next week. Have a good meal. I just want to say that, uh, you know, like like what we were just saying about um, having the the graphic, uh, the graphic uh, representations being so useful. Um, I did in the chat uh, post the uh, video I was talking about of of, Ar- of Ari Helenius, and he's in Zurich, and he uh, sort of the the virus bouncing along the lipid bilayer of the cell. Um, you can find that graphic or that representation. Um, you know, around 34 or so minutes into the video, if you're just curious, uh, it was just so, it's just so fascinating, you know, like uh, when I see these models, of course, they're not the whole picture, um, but uh, it really helps me understand what's going on uh, way better than like, you know, reading just dry words. I wanted to shout out Smart Poker again. Uh, they just commented in the chat that uh, they're giving away a Photon Tech SQ300 watt. LED photon tech is a pretty legit LED from the light test that I've seen on Dr. MJ over there, which uh, are recently even getting more, uh, you know, legitimacy granted to them. And I've always been a big fan of the science done over there and uh, smart poker, giving away the lights. Uh, that's something that I, I love to see that in the community. So many people maybe don't want to invest that big uh, chunk of change to get themselves a nice light. And that can really change somebody's life um, for the better. So cheers to you, smart poker. Uh, you deserve all the love and uh, attention that might come your way from people hearing this. So check out Smart Poker on YouTube. I pinned their uh, comment in the YouTube. So check them out. Great dude. And uh, Chris Buwanabe as well over there. She's awesome as well. Uh, huge supporters of this channel. Always have been. 
and great people in the community, both here and Coker for Cannabis. Uh, just awesome to see good people uh, joining the cannabis space online. Here's to that. Smart Poker and Crispy are uh, husband and wife duo that's a really fun team and uh, running their channels and their other content and stuff. They hosted me on Wednesday night. I did my last uh, part test video on Wednesday and they hosted an after show on their, their channel. So um, I want to thank them for that too. Really great people and wonderful Gromies. So go and, and I'll, I'll second Jack's suggestion to follow their channel. Um, yeah. Totally uh, great people. Remind me of uh, Lady Greenstock and myself a little bit. I love the uh, husband-wife duos in the cannabis community. Uh, power couples, as some would call them, and uh, happy to see them just continuing to have success in their grows and, and learning and uh, just being, you know, humble and, and honest about what they know and what they don't and learning all the time and uh, being supportive of one another. I think that there's so much room in the community for people like themselves. So uh, very, very fortunate to have so many. There's been a constant like 125 plus in here tonight. Uh, so thank you to everybody who's here live and all those who listen afterwards, which is a pretty significant portion. It's about uh, double that listen to the uh, YouTube, both live and afterwards. So shout out to all the podcast listeners as well. Uh, but with that said, I think I'm going to give it up to the people to do their final thoughts and shout outs, starting first with uh, Noah the Groa. Thanks for showing us the garden tonight. Yeah. Hey, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for hosting. And uh, yeah, I had a blast. Um, I'm chopping this plant down right now. This Rogue plant, I got a bunch of work ahead of me, but uh, trim jail is never fun. But I always dig it because I know that uh, all the hard work is getting ready to pay off. So, yeah, if anybody's got any questions for me, feel free to shoot me a DM. I'm uh, Noah DeGro on Instagram with two E's. You can find me there and uh, most weeks here, and I'll see everybody. I, I'm not sure next week's Super Bowl, my family, but I will definitely go the next week and I'll try and pop in this next week too. And uh, I'll see everybody next week. Thank you so much for coming and growers love. I just wanted to say I had to transplant my uh, plants that I came back. I got the sex test on four females and I pulled up a post that I made uh, our old host clip for me. And it was like Noah saying like, you know, something that I learned He's like some of the best growers, like they know when it's time to clone, you clone. When it's time to transplant, you transplant. And it's like, you can't get lackadaisical in your garden. You got to work hard. You got to put in the work. And I just had that playing literally on repeat in my uh, kitchen as I was working through the transplants and doing the hard work. So thank you for the motivation, Noah. Uh, totally. Hey, real quick. I seen, uh, I seen on some one of your stories, I seen some fire buds you were pulling down here recently. And uh, that's awesome, man. I love, I love it when people, uh, you know, are growing. That's the whole thing about this, you know, is, is that everybody should be, if they get the opportunity to grow their own. And uh, it's awesome. You get the opportunity to do that, man. And uh, shout out to all the home growers. Absolutely. And uh, next up, I'm going to pass it over to Dr. MJ. Hey, guys. Yeah, so I'm glad I got here. I, I'm sorry I was a little bit late, but I had fun in the part that I got here and feel uplifted and reconnected to the world. So all of that is good. I want to tell everybody about um, another giveaway that we're doing. We give away a lot of stuff. Um, we do this Grower Love giveaway every week, like every Sunday. It just happened actually a while ago. Um, who won today? Cushmaster won this week. Um, uh, Maxis on MF 1000. We've been giving away Maxis on MF 1000s every Sunday since July. Um, and that just ended. So we're for next week, we got a special grower love giveaway. It'll be on Valentine's Day on Monday, the drawing. 
And we've gone ahead and added a bunch of our friends and our Gromies to sort of share the love. So this is one of these giveaways that you get entries for doing different actions, um, like following somebody's YouTube channel or their Instagram account. So we put up like 20 of our friends, <laughs> some panelists on the show, some audience members, people from CFC, people from Grow Sponsor, um, that just spreading the love. So go follow a bunch of accounts and everybody will be entered to win a TSW 3000 um, light from Mars, their four by four quantum ward style light. Um, that's on the deals and discounts page at cocoforcannabis.com, where it always is every week. And um, yeah, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. I look forward to, to connecting with Grandmaster Level, maybe on his show. Um, always appreciate the, the spirit of camaraderie and grower love that we have around here. Jack, thank you for hosting this every week and keeping it running, even when some of us have to show up late. Thanks to the rest of the panelists, all the chatters. Come check out my YouTube channel at Dr. MJ Coco and everything we're doing over at CocoForCannabis.com. Grow our love. Thank you so much again for joining us and uh, appreciate you giving out those lights as well. I don't want to uh, discredit you and uh, give uh, Smart Poker all the attention. You guys are both doing great work, so I love to see that. And uh, it's, Yeah, no, give him plenty of love. Give yeah, him you plenty guys, of you love. You guys both deserve the credit. And I think it's, like I said, it's so awesome. It really does change people's lives in a very real way. Um, I know where, when I started back up growing at home, uh, what the investment of the light meant to me and how far it's been able to take me for my medicine and uh, saving me money, you know, growing at home that is very real. Uh, it goes to like money that you can spend on rent and food and other things in life that are important that uh, really tr create real value in people's lives. And that's an amazing thing. And I'm very, very thankful that we're able to help people in that way. Uh, so it's, it's amazing to continue to see that spread throughout the community. So thank you again. And uh, next up, Matthew Gates. Yeah, I enjoyed um, the conversations, especially these uh, these sort of molecular ecological questions because, or, or topics. I, I, I don't think people ask the questions as much as I inject them into the conversation uh, selfishly. But uh, I always find them very interesting and fascinating. And um, if you are interested in some of these topics, I do talk about them on my YouTube channel. And uh I have a series that I'm doing with the Future Cannabis Project. We've already gotten two videos out so far, one about what pests are and what they aren't and how we classify them, and also one on the rice root aphid. And uh, the next one we're going to be doing is on the cannabis aphid. So rice root aphid last week, you can check them out on FCP02, and you can check out the cannabis aphid episode this coming week. Uh, Tuesday at 3 o'clock is the live stream. And uh, so if you have any questions about them or anything like that, you can drop them uh, sort of in the comments on my post on Instagram at Sync Angel, or um, you can check them out on Future Cannabis Project on that day, three o'clock PST, Pacific Standard Time. And of course, my Xenthanol YouTube channel is where I put a lot of my other content related to uh, plant health and, and uh, pest abatement and mitigation and various topics associated with that. So thank you for having me as always. It's a pleasure as always. We always appreciate your input. Uh, the IPM stuff is so important and isn't often done enough talking, talked about. Some people like to cover their ears and pretend it's never going to happen, but burying your head in, your, in the sand isn't going to protect you from the bugs and molds and mildews out there. So it's best to know about them, prepare for them and know how to best fight them and uh, manage it. So uh, we always appreciate your input on all that interesting stuff and all the science and data. And uh, last and certainly not least, the American one. Jack, thanks for hosting as usual. And it's always good to hear everybody from the panel. Uh, 
during the discussion. And I must reiterate what uh, Zentanol was saying about the uh, minutia of the questions and the love for the microbiology and eco, how it all works is always interesting to me. And um, and I also must reiterate uh, you and Dr. MJ Coco, Smart Poker is really uh, an awesome person. Uh, he's an astute cultivator who he did his own research and he follows like the best practices and more important than the light giveaway, the real value is if you go back to some of his earlier posts, he does like a training post and it's just like laid out so nice. You follow along and that's like, uh, he, that he just does it, it's perfect. So I wanna shout him out and Crispy too. They're all, they're both so cool. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. I'm the American one on the YouTubes and peace out chat and the American one underscore with underscore 18s on the uh, IG. If you search the American one and put an underscore, hopefully a little guy with an American top hat will come up and that'll be me. So peace everybody. Peace out, the American one. Thank you for joining us, Tao. And uh, if anybody forgets all that information, it'll be in the description below within the next 30 minutes or so on YouTube. So you can go and search that up, copy and paste it, and enter it wherever you need to. Uh, last and certainly not least, I guess myself, uh, I'm at Jack Greenstock on Instagram. I was your host. I always enjoy these conversations and uh, I always learn a good amount. I guess I should plug, I will be on FCP number two with Chad Westport um, on Wednesday, the 9th at 8 30 p.m pst so shout out to chad he reached out to me and asked if i could come on and talk a little bit about my first book 50 strands of green and i think we're probably gonna go off topic and talk about a whole bunch of other stuff as well so should be a good time future cannabis project is a great group um and peter's a good dude lots of great content being pumped out over there uh, big fan of that page been subscribed for a long time so uh, thankful to get to jump back on there again uh, with a lot of awesome people and with no further ado, you could email me, jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com. If you want a copy of that book, uh, go to 50strains.com for a copy of 50 Strains of Green. But I have no more to say, so I guess I will say Jack Greenstock signing out. Grow love, everyone. Have a good one.